We have a lesson that uh, I will read part of it to you now and part of it later on. It's a story that really tells itself, and uh, it is one that uh, is easy to keep in your mind, and it teaches you a great deal uh, just through the reading of the scriptures, because you will see three important characters. One uh, is a man by the name of Ahab, who is an apostate. That's one who falls away from the truth of God. One is a man who is really good, a very good man, named Jehoshaphat. It's a funny name, but he was a very good man. But he was a compromiser, and his compromising cost much evil, as compromising always does uh, when we compromise with evil. And then there was a remarkable man of courage, and his name is Micaiah. And Micaiah is one of those minor prophets that we wish that we knew more about who had incredible courage and who demonstrated it at the time to demonstrate it. So let me begin reading from chapter 22 of the first book of Kings. And, they con and there continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat the king of Judah came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king, of Israel. Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and he said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, for he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer, and he said, Hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of Imla. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Shininah, made him horns of iron, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, with these thou shalt push the Syrians until they have been consumed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good.
Mark verse 14 in your Bible. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. And that's the mark of a true prophet. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee, that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his own house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he should prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. This is Micaiah speaking. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him, and prevail. Go forth, and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. But Zedekiah went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek, and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into thy inner chamber to hide thyself. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah. Carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in prison, and feed him with the bread of affliction, and with water of affliction, until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, Peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Hearken unto me, O people every one of you. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Our Heavenly Father, the lesson is so much bigger than the preacher that without the help of the Holy Spirit, nothing really worthwhile can be accomplished in these few minutes. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit will himself speak and help us to know the dangers of living in an age of apostasy and in an age of compromise and where there is such a tremendous need for courage. And we pray that you will help us to consider our own lives and whether our Christian faith is just an adjunct to a boring life or whether it 
really is that which determines the course which we take day by day, week by week, and year by year, and to help us to know what we can do in the world in which we live by living for Jesus Christ. We brought some gifts which we pray will be acceptable in thy sight, and we ask them to we ask thee to use them to thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I can remember a great many years ago when uh, I first became acquainted with Dr. Nelson Bell. I was horrified when he had some serious questions about the recognizing of the Soviet state because he felt that there was some compromise on the part of the United States of America in recognizing a government that was openly atheistic and opposed to God. As time has gone on, while I know that we have to admit reality and see what exists, you can see something of what occurred in the terrible slaughter of the people under jumbo jet and what's going on in a system that exists that way. I remember a couple of years, well it was just a year or so ago that uh, President Reagan made some speech down in Florida. There was a big debate by the news analyst immediately following it because he had spoken of the Soviet system, not the Soviet people, but the Soviet system as being evil. And uh, some big theologian came on to say that this was horribly dangerous to characterize a system as being evil. Well, I think the system is evil. And I think it's been proven again and again. And I want to show you something of the danger of compromising. Here are two entirely different news analysts. And I use this simply by way of introduction to get into our point about apostasy and compromise and then to courage. One is by George F. Will, and one is by Meg Grinfield. George F. Will is a conservative columnist and a Roman Catholic. Meg Grinfield is Jewish and more liberal in her commentary, but on this point they both agree. Meg Grinfield says it is insane that we should have relapsed anew into one of our debates over whether their nature is evil. In other words, Meg Grinfield is saying that in five weeks everyone will forget all about it and it'll go the way of Afghanistan and what happened in Hungary and what happened in a great many other places in the world. George F. Will is far more biting in what he says, but he really brings us into a confrontation with how evil the system is by saying that the shocking thing is how shocked people are. The day the Soviet regime murdered another 269 persons was the 24,000th and 41st day since that regime was founded. Since 1917, the regime has killed at least 20 million of its own citizens in its purges. And he has figured this out. That's an average of more than 800 a day for 66 years. Unless the Red Army massacred another Afghan village last Thursday, the regime had a below average day of blood 
when it shot down the airliner. And then he says, we are a people so startled. Why are people so startled when the Soviet regime acts in character? Nothing in nature, not even in granite, which water wears away over time, is as durable as an illusion grounded in a desire to avoid facing a nasty fact. But Americans are a manufacturing people, and so they manufacture new illusions about Soviet willingness to move up from barbarism. In 1979, after 62 years of domestic carnage and international gangsterism, the Soviet regime invaded Afghanistan, and the President of the United States said, gosh, that sure opens my eyes. Why did the Soviet regime, after two and a half hours of thinking about it, murder another 269 people? Well, why not? The benefits are clear enough. You imitate especially Japan, and the costs are almost certainly going to be negligible and brief. And then in biting sarcasm, when he speaks of what has happened with the yellow rain, a, a terrible, poisonous chemical warfare which they have used against innocent civilian populations to destroy them in remote areas where there is no press coverage. He speaks about the impartiality of some of our peace groups here in America. And he says the World Council of Churches has not yet had time to condemn Korean Airlines for aggressively bumping into a Soviet air-to-air -air missile. But various other peace parties with the impartiality for which they are famous have announced the Soviet deeds prove the irrationality of the superpowers and demonstrate the paranoia which the U.S. has driven the Soviet Union to. This is you, you can see what's happening uh, in the world in which we live and what happens in the country. I know that it's, these are terrible decisions that are forced upon a president. Anyone who has ever been around a president, and I have, I've been in his bedroom at two o'clock in the morning when he was fretting back and forth about what to do. And we deal with imaginary power. It doesn't make any difference what we say. No one's gonna do it anyway. But it does make difference what the President of the United States says, because if he says the bombers go, they go. If he says they stay, they stay. Now, you can't send bombers and start a nuclear holocaust in which everyone is devastated. But you can learn what we don't seem to be willing to learn, that a system built on atheism, a system which destroys a belief in the sanctity of human life does not have any trouble with carrying out the mechanical letter in such a way that this jumbo jet is blown to smithereens. And it will be interesting if the little black box is recovered from the flight recorder when you hear the Korean pilot, who must have been taken quite by surprise, crying out for help at a time like that. Who would send a jumbo jet on a spying mission? This is uh, what we've been going through. Now then, all of this is right relevant to what we have here 
when we look at three principal characters. Here is Ahab. He marries Jezebel. Jezebel is one of those who bring in a sensuous, evil form of worship and causes a people to go after strange gods and which he tolerates and vacillates and allows his own wife to lead him into. He had been successful in his conquering of Ben-Hadad at one time through the power of God. And yet now, after having let him go, and three years have passed by, a conflict breaks out at Ramoth in Gilead. He wants to break out a conflict in, in Ramoth Gilead and go and take a city there. The three years have gone by, and so it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down. You go up to Jerusalem, where Jehoshaphat was, but you come down to Samaria, to the king of, to, to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel, who is Ahab, said unto his servants, Know ye not that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. He enters into an alliance with the ungodly. And after this battle is over, and the dogs come and lick the blood of Ahab when he is defeated and killed. And Jehoshaphat is able to return by the mercy and grace of God. One of his own prophets chides him by saying to him, Shouldst thou have helped the ungodly? That's the compromising part. The apostate fell away. Young people, be careful who you marry. And be careful about the family you marry into and the values that will be the values by which your children will be raised and be influenced by. Then this man Jehoshaphat has helped the ungodly. How do we, how does this meet with my day-by-day -day existence? If I laugh at a dirty joke, I am helping an ungodly person be comfortable in his ungodliness. If I tolerate an evil television program to come into my house and influence my thinking and my children, I am helping the ungodly. If there is no sense of separation and holiness on my part, to the point that I am willing to stand up and walk out of something that's evil and take a stand for God, then I am helping the ungodly. Jehoshaphat knew better than this, but he plights all of his resources to Ahab and says, My horses are as your horses, my people are as your people. And then he does something that's so typical of those of us who do take our Christianity seriously. 
we make an evil agreement, and then after we've made it, or a compromising or a questionable agreement, then we say, you know, I should have prayed about that. And so that's what he said. Jehoshaphat said unto the said, should we unto the king of Israel, shouldn't shouldn't we pray about this? But he says that after he had already made an agreement with him. And the king of Israel said, oh, oh yeah, sure, we ought to pray about this. Uh, we need to get the word of the prophets on this. And I've got some wonderful preachers here. They've gone to the best seminaries. They know the latest theories, the best in archaeology, what the current theologians are thinking. They are abreast of contemporary thought. Call them in, all 400 of them. And the 400 court preachers come in. And so Ahab says to his court preachers, Shall we go up to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And then he listens for the chorus. And the chorus comes back, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. I always point out that this should have immediately caused uh, a little bit of suspicion on the part of those who were listening. Anytime you hear 400 preachers saying the same thing at the same time in chorus, you have been had. Uh, get your hat and go home. It's all over with. Someone has connived. They have been messed with. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides? He knew that that was phony. And he said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And I can almost see King Ahab saying, why, here are 400 of the best educated preachers we've got. Marvelous voices, great people, all belong to the right clubs. You want another one? But the man who is godly, Jehoshaphat, feels uneasy about this and he says, yes, I, I would like to hear another prophet. Don't you have a real preacher around here somewhere? This don't sound like the preachers did when I was a boy. And Ahab has to admit it. And the king said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man. And boy, the fire comes into him. Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. You know, a man is not only known by the company he keeps and the friends that he has, but he is known by the enemies that he makes too. And so it is here. But I hate him, for he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. In other words, don't talk like that about the preacher because he doesn't say what you want him to say. Let, let's hear from him. And then the king, Ahab, the king of Israel, calls an officer and he says, go get Micaiah. You know where Micaiah was, don't you? Josephus tells us he was in jail. He spent a lot of time in jail. In fact, a lot of good preachers have spent a lot of time in jail. Hasten hither Micaiah, the son of Imla, and the king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne. This is really a great scene. 
on their thrones, they put on their purple robes, they are in a big place where there is a large congregation and entourage of people watching them and all the prophets, these 400 court preachers are there, and then the onlookers. And Zedekiah, the son of uh, this man, puts on horns of iron and puts on a little dramatic display of how they're going to defeat the Syrians and consume them. And all the prophets prophesied the same thing. Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And then the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah, he must have been a kindly sort. He wanted to spare Micaiah if he could. And so he gives him a little word of advice. In verse 13, the words of the prophet, he says, Behold, the words of the prophets, plural, the 400 prophets, declare good unto the king with one mouth. So let not thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them. Speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Now that's the mark of a real prophet. That's what you see when you see Jesus standing before Pilate. That's what you see when you see Paul standing before Agrippa and Festus. That's what you see when you see John the Baptist standing before Herod. But the courageous prophets are few and far between anymore. So he came to the king. <laughs> this is funny. The king said unto Micaiah, Shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And now Micaiah does like Elijah did uh, on Mount Carmel. He mimics the false prophets. He mimics them. He says, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And this, of course, incurs the anger of the king. And he says, how many times shall I adjure you? That means he is putting him under oath. That I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord. In his voice he knew that he was mocking these 400 court preachers. And so Micaiah said, all right, you want the truth, king, here's the truth. I saw all of Israel scattered upon the hills. I saw all of your troops scattered every place. Like sheep that have no shepherd, you're going to be gone. And the Lord said, these have no master. That was a prediction of death to the king. Let them return every man to his own house. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me, but evil? And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. This is what Micaiah says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Micaiah had a vision. And the host of heaven standing by him. Just like when Satan comes before the Lord to accuse Job. Just like in, in uh, Zechariah 1.10, we can see uh, Satan standing at the right hand of the archangel resisting God. So here we are told that an evil spirit is there. 
And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? This apostate. And one said this and one said that. And then came forth the Spirit and stood before them and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Test what you hear. See whether it's in accord with the word of God or not. And if it is not, it should be rejected. See whether abortion accords with the word of God, homosexuality accords with the word of God in its overt evil practice. See whether pornography in the filthy films and the other things that go on accord with godliness. They don't. And you know they don't if you read your Bible. One of the judgments that God sends on a people is to send them lying prophets who will give them a new morality which is not a new morality, it's just the old immorality dressed up to look new. We are faced with this today. And so God said to this, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail. Go forth. Now therefore behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning them. If you look into the New Testament, into the words that Paul writes in Thessalonians, you will see that in the latter days God sends a man of lawlessness, a lying spirit. And this lying spirit, this man of lawlessness, is sent to tell people what they want to hear. If you do not want to hear the word of God, then God will send teachers to tickle your ears to tell you what you want to hear. And they will come, and that will be your doom. That will be your doom, a strong delusion that they may believe a lie. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. That's what's predicted in the end come. I wish I had time to go through the rest of this. But there is a time when people should stand up, and Micaiah stood up. Now right away he is sent back to prison and told to be treated severely, that he would be fed on the bread of affliction, which is severe treatment, and the water of affliction. And ancient Jewish teachings tell us that he was put to death. But he was a courageous prophet. He said no to a king. He had great courage. There was a book that I tried to buy the other night in a bookstore called The Mind of Watergate by Leo Rangel, a psychiatrist. The subtitle is The Compromise of Integrity. And Rangel analyzes the mind of Richard Nixon and his surrounding cronies during the Watergate area, era and before it 
and he points out from a psychiatrist's point of view what was happening in a man's head during that time. And lifted out of that book, there is a part of the transcript of the Watergate hearings. It's an interchange between Senator Howard Baker and a young man by the name of Herbert L. Porter who was there during the early stages of Watergate and was swept into the vortex of the whole thing. And in this question and answer period, Baker tries to pursue the matter of integrity with Porter. And this is the exact transcript. Baker, did you ever have any qualms about what you were doing Mr. Porter, I am probing into your state of mind. Porter, uncomfortably, quote, I was not the one to stand up in a meeting and say that this should be stopped. I mean, I kind of drifted along. Baker, quote, at any time did you ever think of saying, Quote, I do not think this is right. This is not the way it ought to be done. Did you ever think of that? Porter, huh? Yes. Yes, I did. Baker, what did you do about it? Porter, I did not do anything. Baker, why didn't you? Porter, after evidence of much inner thought on his face, in all honesty, and probably because of the fear of group pressure and of not being a team pleasure, a team player, I did nothing. Let's learn a lesson. Let's learn a lesson from the mentality of a Soviet fighter pilot who looks at a jumbo jet and mechanically gets an order to press a button that sends air-to-air -air missiles to explode 269 babies, children, men, and women to death. Why didn't someone have the courage to say no? The lesson is plain. We are not only to take heed what we hear and beware of false prophets, but we are to take heed how we hear and beware of our own hearts. Do we apply this to our own lives? Are we willing not to help the ungodly and not compromise? Are we willing to look at our own hearts and see that we're not going to be apostate and fall away? Are we willing to stand up and be counted for Jesus Christ? no matter what the cost may take. Let us stand these in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we live in an age where compromise is almost the name of the game where religion is peddled because it's supposed to lull us in our fears and comfort us in our losses. 
where it's only used for its emotional value. We pray that you will help us to look at those who made tough decisions in difficult places and stood firm for you. We live in a world where there are godless forces at work. We pray that you will help us to be tuned in to the Holy Spirit and to realize that only as we are led by the Holy Spirit can we make those decisions which will honor you and will cause us to be faithful to the faith which we say we believe Uh, the gospel spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to buy it. And in looking it up, and I photocopied a part of it, I found...